0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Open Gaming Store, PDFs, and more. Come on in. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links. And to our patrons, thank you for supporting us at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Hi, this is Monty Cook, designer of Numenera, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 272, we've decided to play God, crafting existence out of nothing, populating it with various wonder- wonderful things, and setting events in motion as I discuss world-building. You may notice that Tracy is not here again. She had to take care of a sick child at the last minute tonight, which is something that happens when you have young children. But fret not, we have a star-studded, action-packed set of guests to help guide us through this world-building process. First up, after spending time at TSR and Wizards of the Coast designing games and writing novels in the Forgotten Realms, he went on to join Monty Cook Games to bring the world things like The Strange and Gods of the Fall, I welcome back to the show after way too little much time away Bruce Cordell
1: Hey Jeff, thank you for that great introduction and thanks yeah. for letting me back on the show
0: Absolutely, I think the last time we talked to you it was uh, about a novel, yeah?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was probably uh, one of the
0: like, Sword of the Gods maybe Yeah, maybe one of those I kind of miss those novels what, What's up with that?
1: <laughs> uh, well, you'd have to ask Wizards about yeah, that.
0: Yeah, that's true. They're not doing a lot of novels these days.
1: I do have one more book on that contract, but uh, mm. well, that's a that's a tale for another time. That's a whole apps.
0: other story, right? Uh, Our other guest uh, along with us has worked on on D&D since 3rd edition, was the lead designer of 4th edition, uh, had a career that included two different versions of the Forgotten Realms campaign guide, only to go off and make a new great game with a fantastic setting, 13th age. We have with us Rob Hainsoe. Hello, Jeff. Did I catch everything? Bruce, did, I, I, did, I, did I hit the, the I think CV? Bruce and
2: I should definitely hire you. You know,
0: <laughs> you've got the
2: the portentous announcer. This is how That's we should right. always be introduced. And my God, we're playing God today, Bruce. That's right, we are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Woo-hoo. Uh, you, you, you go ahead and hire me. I will just follow you along and, and precede you into any room and give you a, a, a worthy introduction with a with a megaphone. Harold. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So before we all talk about uh, world building, I want to remind everybody to check out our sponsor, Open Gaming Store. They specialize in PDFs for all your favorite games, but they have more than that. If you buy, And if you buy $20 worth of stuff, you get a free PDF. Plus, on top of that, if you use the coupon code TOMESHOW2016, you get an additional 10% off through February. Not a bad deal at all. I'm going to cheat with my picks for this episode. I'm going to pick two of them because I have two great game designers with me. uh, And they both have products for sale over at Open Gaming Store. So rather than hearing from some supernatural creature about how good the site is, I'll give you my two picks and let the designers tell you about them. First (laughs) up is the 13th Age Core Rulebook. Rob, what sort of goodness will people find in there?
2: Ah... Once upon a time, I joined Jonathan Tweet's third edition playtest group. And that was back before third edition was really out. And uh, we played that campaign for about five years into the middle of third edition. And Jonathan and I are really good friends. And after he had led third and I had led fourth, um, when we were both outside of Wizards and able to work together on a project, 13th Age is the game we designed that we wanted to play together. It's a Yeah, it's basically us doing a version of um, D&D or D20 or F20 or whatever you want to call it that has a lot of storytelling tricks either inherited or extrapolated from indie gaming. Um, some crunchy combat mechanics uh, with lessons learned from 3rd and 4th. And uh, a, a world that is, you know, we'll talk more about the world soon, I suspect, just okay. in passing. If we're talking about a, if our, if our topic today is world building, I won't go into that in too much detail. But uh, basically, it was a, a labor of love for me and Jonathan. We never expected it to become a gaming line. We thought we were just going to put everything we needed into one book. And, um, but it did become a gaming
0: line afterwards, and
2: it's been a, a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. And secondly, our second pick of the episode is The Strange Core Book, available at Open Gaming Store. Bruce, that's your book. How fantastic is it?
1: Uh, Well, I guess since you asked me about novels, one of the reasons I did leave Wizards was to write a science fiction novel. And I told my friend uh, Monty Cook about it, and he said, hey, let's write a game together based on The Strange. And that's what we did. And basically, The Strange, speaking of world-building is place where player characters travel into limited alternate worlds we call recursions. Recursions are basically seeded by human imagination from human fiction, from movies, stories, novels, RPG games. And player characters, you know, they travel into these worlds to explore them to maybe protect the earth from the things they find within them when these fictions become a little too aware of what's going on and maybe even create a recursion or two of their own. So that's The Strange. Excellent.
0: That is awesome. And everybody should check those things out over at OpenGamingStore.com. There'll be links in the show notes at tomeshow.com And don't forget to use the coupon code TOMESHOW2016 when you check out for an even better deal. Hey, it's me, Lungo the Cobold I'm here to tell you all about OpenGamingStore.com. It's a great website where you can buy PDFs and hardcovers and all sorts of other gamer gear onesies for the kids. Really great stuff. You should check it out. OpenGamingStore.com. Tell them the Tom Show sent you and use the coupon code TOMESHOW2016 to get 10% off. Okay, I'm going to go cobalt it up whatever that is now let's go ahead and talk about world building the three of us are gonna talk about this idea and and give people some advice and see if they can figure out and and of course you guys have uh, a significantly more impressive cv than i do in terms of world building other than uh, i've run some games and built some campaigns right so uh, uh but we'll all sort of throw in our two cents along the way as I sort of get to know you and get to know sort of our ideas about uh, worlds, I want—I would like if each of us could sort of describe our favorite world that we've created, even if it's not one that's been published, even if you know just for your home game or whatever, something that, a world that you've made that you know you really enjoyed playing around in that world. Does anybody want to volunteer to go first, or shall I go ahead and jump in? It's your show, man. All right, okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll take it on. So, uh, you know, and it's and and recognizing that uh, it is, of course, a bit of an unfair question. My favorite campaign world, campaign world that I've built, is probably the one I'm currently playing. Right, um, and it is a a post apocalyptic fantasy Earth where the Earth went through some sort of massive cataclysm. You know. An unknown number of years ago, and uh, sort of in the in the vein of Shatterrun brought about er- magic and, and magical creatures and what have you. Except that technology has completely fallen apart. So think a little bit, uh, Shannara, um, you know. And and uh, I, I've yeah. been heavily using my my yeah. own players as. Uh, helpers in building the world and so they've been you know i've been asking them hey okay you're going to this spot on the map what's there and then i just sort of off the cuff get to to fill in the blanks that they leave me uh based off of the things they they give me i was inspired a lot by watching uh, will wheaton on titan's grave in terms of that asking lots of questions and letting them fill in the world um and it's been going really well um and i'm i'm really pleased in fact i'm thinking even as the campaign is over even though it kind of felt like originally it'd be a, a one-shot campaign setting um i might just keep coming back to this world we'll see Sounds really cool. What's like what
2: one a, of your do you, go ahead. do
0: you have a name for it? Do you call it something? Uh in the files on my computer I just refer to it as After Earth, but I know that's not a very yep. good name, yeah. <laughs> so,
2: right. So in other words it's not the kind of world that needs a fancy it doesn't have that sort of self-awareness to to be calling itself something. It's yeah. just
0: the way reality is. Or at least it just, it hasn't come up, you know. Nobody's asked what what do we call this world anyway? Yeah, it's definitely a issue.
1: Do you have a major villain who keeps reappearing, or a favorite villain
0: that you like to use? Yeah, so the um, the way I'm I'm I designed the campaign is that I'm mashing up multiple adventures, and so I've taken um, what is it out of the Abyss and Princes of the Apocalypse that are the, the some of the newer uh, fifth edition adventures that Wizards put out, and then I mashed it up with the Rod of Seven Parts, and then some of my own stuff. Uh, and so the the real villain, although the party doesn't know it yet, is Miska the Wolf Spider. Because all of these sort of stories revolve around um, some sort of chained, mysterious being of chaos, you know, that the gods in primordial days all had to work together to to uh, to capture or stop or whatever. And so I've decided that they're all they're all the same thing, and so Miska will be the final um, the final foe. But they don't know that yet. They just know that, you know, crazy things keep happening and they're running around trying to stop demon lords from invading the underdark while the, while also, you know, defeating elemental cults and what have you. Cool. So yeah, it's working pretty well. Alright. Uh let's go Rob first. Rob, tell us about a world that you've uh played in or, or really enjoyed.
2: Well, I think you asked for a world that we'd created. Yes. Correct? Yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm not going to do the the cheaty thing, which is to talk about the world of Thirteenth Age. I mean, I can certainly say, yeah, that's probably you know the creation that I'm most involved with and most and happiest that that Jonathan and I really did. But I mean, if people know, you know, if people have been following me on the other interviews and things, I, I feel like I might as well tell a story about something that no one would have heard about, you know. No, you know. So so right before doing in the campaigns i did before 13th age and i believe they were mainly with third edition and fourth edition um i was running what i called arduin and uh i called it arduin which is like the arduin grimoire just because i loved the i wanted to use the multiversal angle but I don't think there was anything in my game that would have been from Arduin, except with a possible exception of an insect warrior called a Fraint, um, You know, who who d and ders would might have you know might have called a cream. There was really nothing else, and so the reason I enjoy okay, the pieces that were enjoyable and were very very different were just I was just pushing the the multiversal thing to to its to to some very fun angles i i had the promotion and relegation of gods so that uh you know like in european sports leagues if a a team does really poorly it gets demoted and um, Mm. a team does really well it gets promoted to the next league up and so i had long plot lines that were circulating around various deities pushing their way up from either non-existence or very low existence and displacing gods at the top and um, champions of the gods trying to prevent that from happening, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I had a, I, I did, this is an example of this is non-organic world building. This was like self-conscious gimmicks. Very different <laughs> than like the kind of stuff that you know you normally. You know, like I love Glorantha. Glorantha is probably my favorite game world by Greg Stafford. Um, deep understanding of mythology, deep understanding of religion and culture and and uh, society. But this wasn't like that. Instead, like like I did a, I had a, a capital city, uh, this that was where all the roles of the different uh, like defense, sewers, uh, uh, magical economy, um, trade, all these positions and roles were handed out to the different um, races and groups in the city by lottery. Because I took that old joke that oh my god you know you're in trouble if the um, I don't know remember the the racist old jokes about like oh what if an Italian and a German and an Englishman and you make the Englishman in charge of uh, in charge of the cuisine and you're all in trouble um, and uh, but you know and in this case the the dark elves had randomly ended up in charge of security. Which really was a problem for everybody else, <laughs> and halflings were oh god, halflings had some major role that was like a that was um, you know thrusting them into positions they really didn't want to be, and uh, yeah, I went ahead and called them hobbits because I could, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I I I kept on springing. It was sort of this crazy game that took advantage of. Um, weird formulas to create situations the players did not see coming and then uh, um, to carry some of those to the logical extremes, like hunting down Elric incursions, because Hmm. they kept on, you know, Elric always multiversal kept coming in. So, an example of something I would never ever publish, probably, but it was a hell of a lot of fun to
0: run. That's awesome. and what yeah. and so say a, a, a character was a cleric of a god, and the god like ascended to another plane and wasn't there anymore. What happens to the cleric?
2: Well, <laughs> my big answer to that kind of question is that's the kind of question you sort of ask the player to to mm. weigh in. It's sort of like players, like one thing Thirteenth Age does is it tries to give people say, "Hey, make up your one unique thing about you." You know, and that is getting players to tell you what kind of story they want. So if that player character wants to be really angsty and like, oh, woe is me, my God is gone. And now, and now I must worship one of his horrible enemies in order to have trifles. Well, that's one possible story. But if the player is really like, no, 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 I'll get them back. And I still have lingering traces of their power. And it's all, you know, that's also another possible story. So I would say it didn't happen. Um, the player characters successfully kept the gods that they wanted in the world, but the real problem was that um, there was sort of a pantheon of multi-armed uh, enemy gods, hmm. like like so that all the like evil, the most evil creatures were, oh, Thrakreen oh. and Zil, I think it is that have <laughs> the like, and, and all these creatures and Tharks from Barsoom and you know all that kind of stuff. That, so the like, more
0: limbs have, you had, the more evil you were
2: yeah enter caps i mean i realize that that's a very a simplification but that's the kind of campaign it was some oh my god that guy has too many arms watch out (laughs) yeah so there we are so you 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 raised an excellent question it didn't come up but i would probably want to like find out what story the player character wanted wanted to be involved in yeah cool
1: bruce hey what's up
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite uh, one? Oh, you like you?
1: A, a story. <laughs> um, well, I won't go with The Strange since Rob didn't go with Thirteenth Age. Um, oh I'll go with Gods of the Fall, which actually has a, <laughs> in some ways... Uh, a vague resemblance Uh, there are so basically
2: when i looked at gods of the fall i was kind of like oh interesting fun go ahead sorry to interrupt yes don't
1: worry so um, yeah yeah, like 40 some years ago this this long rich fantasy world that had been in existence for you know over a hundred thousand years um well apparently there'd been a cycle of gods um falling and uh it happened thirty thousand years ago as maybe discovered now in the treasure but it also happened 40 years ago The world was an apocalyptic world. Gods have been long dead. Just terrible shit started to happen. And now the PCs realize that maybe they are the new gods rising. So they have the opportunity to uh, get a... um, uh, a domain if they'd like and ex- access this new godlike domain ability and progress if they would like. And maybe if they fulfill these seven prophecies or one of these prophecies, they can become the new gods of the world and maybe fix this world uh, that's fallen into this horrible state. And that's kind of one of the themes I really like mm-hmm. about the game is that it's about hope. It's about trying to fix things that are broken, that seem be- broken beyond repair. And uh, the players kind of have that in their hand, in their hands, to do so. Of course, there's one. There's the seventh prophecy is the prophecy of ruin. So if they they want to go dark, I suppose that's also a possibility. Because as we know, things can always go darker than you think they're gonna
2: going to. Have go you as well. seen anybody going dark? Uh,
1: not in the not in the playtests that I've run, or not in the games that I've run, and not online. I know some right. people are running campaigns online, and so far it's all very well. From what I've yeah, seen, yeah. anyway. Yeah. it's all people trying to uh you know do good and, and right. uh cage the helma and find out what's up with nod the god of dreams and mm. other mysteries the runescape what's up with that so they're trying to unravel the mysteries uh set in the set of the setting and figure out why the gods fall in the first place
2: and that's uh, great you know i really like it when i mean the thing you said about um like the option to go dark is there and uh I, I, sometimes I'm really one of the things that annoys me sometimes is when the option when the option to be good is boring, um, and like imagine like Fantasia if you remember the end of Fantasia right Fantasia's end is Ave Maria which is how boring is that like evil got night on Bald Mountain. <laughs> you know, and so uh, so I'm you know I'm I'm happy I'm happy to hear that like people are going ahead and, and playing it the way you hope they would, and that you know the option is there to be go dark, but they're they're going light first. Well, awesome.
1: and, and I have and, no expectation, right? And maybe people make mistakes, and maybe they can be redeemed with those mistakes, right? That's sure. what I would really prefer. So right. yeah, no, well, cool. and
0: and in some ways the the fact that there's an option to not go hopeful and to go dark. Uh, means that when they choose to go hopeful instead of dark, it's even more meaningful. Because they had another True. option and they didn't take it. There you go. So there you go. Well, we've heard all about all, uh, several now uh, different kinds of, of campaign worlds and what have you. Uh, campaign worlds are, are – at least settings are, are – Fairly neutral a lot of times. I mean, there can be weird things like in *The Strange*, right, where you've got to have some sort of mechanic or deal to the way of dealing with this, the, the recursions and stuff like that. For the most part, uh, settings are fairly uh, setting or system neutral, and given that there's like roughly a metric ton of different settings that already exist that people could buy, so given that you could just go out and buy a world, why should people try their hand at creating a world rather than than using one that already exists
1: because creation creating a world is something that is such a delight for any gm i mean you sit down if you just have even a prompt you don't have to have a prompt but i find it useful to have a prompt and a blank notebook and you just start writing names that come to you and why is that name important uh, situations and slowly build a world up I mean there's different ways to build up a world but it's just this 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 feeling of of joy really I think in in creating that's that's why I think people should try it
2: yeah um, I suspect that the link between people who want to be game masters and the people who want to create worlds it's fairly strong link um, mm. and I think that link also, I mean as Bruce knows uh, better than me part of the I mean ever since Tolkien and possibly before that but certainly Tolkien, Tolkien was the the writer who showed people that part of writing a fantasy book could be creating a world, you know, and now he was a linguist, and so he I think he, I think, Bruce he created the languages first, right?
1: Uh, I don't know if he created them first, but I, I could be maybe, but he certainly yeah, created he them He certainly
2: this. had the idea that he was creating the world in order to have a home for the languages I'm pretty sure, you know, it's there mm. like it was an element of it was, okay. it really went hand in glove I mean, um, John Ratcliffe John Radcliffe could tell us for sure, but, mm-hmm. but Tolkien's approach to world building has really influenced an awful lot of you know what we call epic fantasy and in um, other fantasy. And what what's in that sometimes novelists get so involved in world creation that they don't actually tell their story because actually building out the world is such a fascinating thing to do and then the, the plot. You know, if you're creating a world, what you're sort of creating is a stage or a setting and characters, and then the plot has to come later. So when you're doing the RPG version, you're setting up a whole lot of forces and actors that you you kind of want the player characters. Ideally, the player characters have a major role to go ahead and you know and make things move in interesting ways. Um, that is a failing of some game worlds because if if the creator of a game world is so in love with what they're creating that the story that they're telling just in creating it is kind of bigger than the stories you can tell as player characters Mm. that can that's a that can be a problem um, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, I was going to say that I think the biggest reason I, I would have for creating a world is because I have a specific type of story that I want to tell. Right. And yeah. there there are certainly uh, plenty of settings out there. And could I tweak them or change them or whatever to make my story fit? Maybe. Yep. But it's going to be my story completely from beginning to end if I if I've created it whole cloth. Plus, as you were saying, Rob, Sometimes it's hard to take an established campaign setting and really own it enough to tell your story and feel like you're even in that setting. I've always – and I know many people don't, but I've always had that problem with, like, say, Dragonlance. Like, Dragonlance has, like, its story, and I never feel like there's any room left – in, any air left in the room for me to tell my stories, you know?
1: I, I was going to say that there's 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 two different kinds of, of world building, I almost. I mean, there's a world building for a game that's designed to have lots of different stories being told, and there's there's yep. world building for uh, novels, right? I mean, you could have yep. your characters try and be those novel characters, but, um, yeah, Dragonlance is like sort of the perfect example of, like, and you can even play these novel characters.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Right. So I... It it, it depends on what kind of world you want to build, though, right? Mm -hmm. And I I guess we're all game designers here, but we're also writers. Well,
0: two two of of us are game designers.
2: (laughs) Jeff, what you said is actually, I mean, bizarrely, that's pretty much exactly why I end up designing games. Not to go into it too deeply, but I'll Mm -hmm. think, I want to have a particular experience, and I realize, oh, that particular experience doesn't exist, so I need to make the card game that has that experience. You know, that... Mm -hmm. that, And so I, I think you're... You know you're right about the, what you can accomplish designing your own world um it's let's face it it's also um okay this is a very minor point all right but the social dynamics of groups of gamers indicate that when you use a published world Sometimes other people consider themselves more of an expert on it than you. <laughs> so <laughs> so you well, screw know, that, i am create my own world. Yeah, exactly. well exactly. So you could just be I mean I mean we sort of designed Thirteenth Age's world, the Dragon Empire. We half designed it. We left tons of things open and an awful lot of times instead of saying one version of a story, we say, Well, here's five possible legends. Mm. Maybe one of these is true. Your campaign should probably find something more interesting. And partially, we do that because game masters—it's real. When you when you do a published setting and then you and say this is what's happening, then player characters who read that there's a binary choice that happens for them. Players who read that either it's true and the player now knows something about the world that actually their character maybe doesn't, and you can role play out of that no problem. But there it is, or it's false because the game master also noticed that and decided to do something different. And it's kind of, I don't know, I, I sort of think that people making up their own campaign or designing things that have multiple options inside of them in order to encourage that from the beginning is a is a great way to go ahead and um, un, uh, unfetter, uh, unfetter improvisation. You know, let people... Mm-hmm. Let people improvise instead of remembering. Wait a minute, I need to check this book and find out how what's there. You know, mm-hmm. and look, Bruce and I—we both worked on lots of versions of the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. Um, at least, maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I worked on two. You worked on the the, the later one, right, Bruce?
1: I worked on the fourth edition one. Yep, the I was edition. one of the right. main one of the main. And- People behind it,
2: (laughs) and I I still—I mean—the weird part about it is, I started off, I didn't really care that much for the for the for for Forgotten Realms world, but now I have this feeling of, you know, nostalgia and uh, and fondness. You know, when pieces of it come out, they make a game like Lords of Waterdeep. I'm like, oh hey, yeah, excellent, Lords of Waterdeep. But I could not—I could, you know, running that world. Like the one time I did it, all my players knew it better than I did. <laughs> and mm. I, you know and i really i had to um, i had to you know i had to quickly go oh no we're definitely in a variant <laughs> We're
0: definitely in a variant. Yeah, here. I mean, I mean that's a whole other that's a whole other topic, right? But but I've often said that like if you're going to run in a in an established campaign world like the Forgotten Realms, and I and I have quite a quite a bit, um, you make the uh, you establish it really early on. Yeah, but this is yeah. this is my realms, and yep. and if that means I'm going to blow the world up, then you know what? We're going to blow the world up, and that's sure. just the way this work this version of the realms is going to go.
1: That makes total sense.
0: Of course, it that also was, helps that was, I'm usually the most knowledgeable one at my table because most of the, my players don't, don't read the Realms novels or any of that. So, but, but they don't need to worry about that.
1: Right. Totally.
0: You were saying something, Chris?
1: Oh, I was just going to say I, I was very
0: invested in the Realms. <clears> I, <throat> I, you
1: know, I worked on the fourth edition uh, setting very heavily. And And, I was, and
2: then you wrote novels. Like I wrote novels
1: eight or nine novels said the yeah. the on realms and yeah I was uh, I was really into the realms. I mean still into the realms, just uh, mm-hmm. just not currently, you know, working on it.
2: It is kind of a strange thing. This is not your topic exactly, but when you have a world <laughs> that was a, was that was a serious part of your working and writing and creative and thinking process and then all of a sudden you're not living in it anymore. It's very mm-hmm. odd.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like yeah. well the realms exist. I'm just it's <laughs> just in my it's behind <clears> me at this point.
2: I'm not visiting that. My starship isn't docking there.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, people still ask me questions, and I'm like, oh, yeah." <laughs> well, you, you've spent a lot of time there. You, uh, you have a knowledge set that uh, not everybody has. So. Yeah,
1: it's so, great. I love the realms.
0: So uh, we've talked about sort of why one might want to create a world rather than using an existing one. Uh, and there's lots of reasons to use existing ones as well, and we may talk about that someday. Uh, but that's not what this episode's about. So that process of creating a world, when you're when we're talking about the Forgotten Realms or a Dragonlance or the Strange or the Thirteenth Age world or what have you, like that feels like a daunting process of building a world. There's a lot that goes into that. Uh, what what is the process that you guys go through when you're creating a world? Like, what's step one, and then where do you go from there?
1: For me, most recently, step one is what kind of characters – I mean, if you're talking a game world, mm-hmm. what kind of characters will be in this world, right? What what will be their role? And once you work out, you know, if there's four – maybe there's four different types of character classes, for instance, and you figure out what they are, that kind of helps you figure out what what they'll be fighting, what, what their background options were, what their background histories are – it's kind of a, a one way to come about the world, right? If you're if you're building for players, you gotta look at it from the players' POV first. And by building up potential background um, nuggets of history for them, that actually gives you this great canvas later to come and connect all the dots. Well, what does it mean that they were taught in the Bleak School of Raven Rock, right? That means that there's a Bleak School of Raven Rock, right? And what does it mean that they've suffered under the Nightland? That means that there's a place that the Nightland exists and you can kind of take and use those pieces as you wish and if you already have a theme in mind of course which you know I'm, I'm talking about in this particular case gods of the fall you can kind of then build that towards the theme you have in in your mind and create this rich tapestry that um that by the by the time you're done um and by the time you filled it all in you've created the creatures created the monsters created the lore created the calendar um you have you have a pretty pretty great world from which many different stories can be told that's That's how I did it most recently, anyhow. Mm -hmm. There is other ways to do it, right? When I I told you about The Strange, I started writing a novel, right? And I had a novel like 30,000 words in, and that is a completely different way to create a world. Sure. Um, But then you can extract out that information and say, well, how would we write this from the POV of... Uh, from a game design's point of view so players uh, can one day play in this game. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Let's let Rob talk and I'll stop. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, partly, I, I mean, I was happy letting you talk because I think everything you said about starting from an understanding of what it is that the players are going to be experiencing and contributing, thats I, mean, I think you're right. That is that is, if you're creating a game world, you need to be doing it for the people who are going to be playing, not just for yourself. So, you're right. I, I, I totally am with you. How about I take it in a slightly different direction? Um, let's, let me let me throw something out as a, a small postulate. When you asked me, like, about a, a game world I had, in, had enjoyed creating, mm-hmm. or you know, playing and I said that thing about the Arduin thing. The really important thing about that Arduin experience was that in I didn't feel the need to do the world building on a huge giant tapestry that where everything linked up. I was just doing it for my player characters experience. Like I had some basic understanding of, well, here are some giant themes, but I was perfectly willing to let everything else be vague until player characters poked their nose into it. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is I've known some really, really excellent writers who didn't end up writing their novels because they got so busy work, like researching and getting everything out about all the different parts of their world. hmm if what you're doing is creating a game to be played by a specific group of people who you know, you know, and want to run a game for, you don't, I'm not positive that, you know, world creation, a world is awful damn big. Maybe mm-hmm. you don't need to think of it in terms of world creation. You need to like just you need to like, like set up a slice of a world that feels to the player characters and the players like there's an, a world behind it but it doesn't necessarily have to have everything figured out. And it's almost better, as I think Bruce said this too, like, you know, you come up with an evocative name, well, maybe you'd have no idea what's going on with that name. Hmm. But once you tell the players, the players will start, like, wondering, and then that, that can, like, that can like turn good. So I'm just saying, I'm not sure, you know, if, if my personal approach actually is not to... You know, although we cre- I, I create, if, if I'm doing a giant published product, maybe I need to create a world. If I'm not doing a giant published product and I'm just doing experiences for print, I don't need to create an entire world, I just need to sure. uh, create enough to to, to play. Um, and yeah,
0: yeah, and I think that's a good point. I, I imagine I've never. Written a world for you know p- publishing purposes or what have you. I've only I've only done world building for for my own game group and that's it. I imagine the process is very different, um, you know, when you're doing one versus the other, right?
1: Well, I think you know, it's more. No, I don't think it would be that different, right? I think uh, you come up with the ideas. It's just that you don't actually have to write them out in perfect sentences and paragraphs and you know headers and you don't have to anyway. Maybe you do. But
2: <laughs> there's also, um, wow one aspect of world building as we experience it when actually it's in professional RPGs is that the information about the world becomes its own industry. Um, And, like, there are lots and lots of people who love the Forgotten Realms enough that they will go ahead and buy things about the Forgotten Realms or buy things about Dragonlance or buy things about Glorantha, um, Greg Stafford's world, that without playing in it much. Like, it started as a game world to them, but because the world makes sense, and because the world offers them a language and symbolism and mythology and history that they enjoy, they, they end up... Yes, maybe they play in it a few times, and they, the option to play is always there, but also people go ahead and consume this material as alternate history in a mm. weird way. Alternate, you know, and... Uh, so... So, for that reason, the thing that Bruce just said about writing it in nice sentences, <laughs> that, you know, that's not what, for instance, indie games do. Indie games will, will be like, okay, everybody, we're getting together tonight, and the experience we're about to have tonight is going to be a very focused experience. Um, you know, there isn't going to be a line of stuff that you read about this experience later on. It's probably, that probably doesn't exist. Whereas... Um, the world building that we inherited from Tolkien, perhaps, uh, is 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 a much you know a much denser um, a denser a denser experience, and at you know at certain points in our lives, I think that um, I know I've been surprised by the amount of people who just love. Um, Game worlds without actually playing in them, but mm. I now, I mean, I sort of now understand that's natural, and it's, you know, it, it, makes, it makes total sense. It's, it's the... It's like if... Uh, it, it has a lot more to do with other types of literature, like, you know, novels and comic books and movies and things. Um, you just always have the option to game, but people don't always exercise the option.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've, I've generally... Um heard that the, heard of two different approaches to world building, and especially for people's campaign worlds and what have you. Uh, and and it's the it's the small to large or the large to small, right? You you either start with the one small area and then as you need to, you add the other things, but you don't need to detail all of that ahead of time. And then there's the I've created this whole giant thing. Now let's let's zoom in and, and see what's going on in the details. What, which of those options do you tend to prefer, uh, Bruce? I
1: like the blend. I like a, um, I like a general idea of like the thrust of the world or the theme, I guess, uh, and then I like to start small with details, with characters. Whether it's whether if it's for a novel, I also start with characters. Mm-hmm. I, I know what the general theme is, but I I, I detail out the characters um i'll write like little i don't know backgrounds for them and which as i'm writing them kind of gives me hooks for like what the story might even be about right which creates the world and you know if it's fantasy world or science fiction world or whatever that that says a lot about what the eventual uh world will be like as well because that brings with it a lot of um uh setting material just all by itself
0: so, so, so i guess so, no,
1: i guess in a way i prefer starting small, but within a, within a constraint or a prompt or a theme that I've previously established.
0: So you want to, you want to at least know that there's a tapestry out there and kind of know what colors are being used in it and, (laughs) and and then zoom in and do just your one little chunk at a time and and fill out the details as you go. Yep. Okay. Rob, what do you think?
2: I had to step back for a minute and just think about how many, like in terms of actually creating worlds that are published I believe it's probably accurate that the only world that I created that's published, totally created and published, is um, the 13th Age world. Um, Because all the others are worlds that I, you know, other people created, and I got to come in and play, play in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, Forgotten Realms, and uh, even maybe the world of feng shui with shadow fist cards and uh glorantha now with 13th age of glorantha so for me in a so for me i'm quite quite positive that i start small and work out Mm -hmm. and i may not even work that far out as a rule and um with 13th age jonathan and i deliberately shows icons and archetypes that were present in most fantasy worlds like dwarf kings and elf queens and archmages because we know that so many D&D campaigns you know Elminster is in the Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance has other versions and you know an icon that's three giant dragons like we chose things that felt familiar but that people could go ahead and put their own spin on and um it was kind of more important to leave it open for people's spin rather than um rather than telling a particular story and I mm-hmm. think um in that sense, you know when Bruce is like creating novels, he's starting with specific characters, and it's really important to go ahead and and, and build the world around those characters right I mean like so that so that the action and moral choices they're making are are being um are being supported and hosted well hmm. um and so i guess for me in the only in the only game world that i've ever really completely published we were trying to like make it so that everybody can go ahead and create their characters and then they can build the world into what they need to support those characters mm-hmm. <laughs> that so i'm not even i'm not sure is that that's sort of a building vague and letting people uh-huh. fill in uh
0: uh-huh. no i think that's 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 legit uh i, I know when i've um You know, since I first started gaming at the age of eight years old, right? uh, I've built many a game world in those days, and and the ones that I find are significant are my most successful worlds are the ones where where we start relatively small, uh, Mm -hmm. and then build out from there as we play. And then uh, I'm finding in recent years even that beyond that, not only are am I building the world as we go, but I'm I'm. Tapping the players to help build the world as I go, and let them fill in a lot of the gaps, or mention, you know, "Oh yeah, I'm I've heard of this organization, whatever it is," you know, and then okay, well yeah. Yeah, that's a thing in the world, and let's build that out and figure out where that goes. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I I find that system to be much more successful, but at the same time, like like Bruce said, I also like to know what the general theme is. You know, um, I had a like for my my post-apocalyptic fantasy earth right i had a general theme i the first thing i did was draw a map and and of course it's some post some cataclysm and, and the geography has changed so so my drawing skills don't have to be very good it can look different than the real world and, <laughs> right and, and I've, I've got an excuse right <laughs> um, yeah. and and but like and i had an idea of what the story the first sort of opening story would be because i kind of knew what i wanted the hook i wanted to get them into it um but you know the requirements of that needed them to basically be on a body of land near a body of water. That that was all I needed. So I pulled out the map and said, okay, point at the map. Where do we start? Okay, we'll start there. What's that place? What, what's it called? How does it work? Let, and, and slowly through – I had questionnaires and we had you know discussions sort of in our session zero sort of thing. Uh, and they built the the opening sort of area and then as they explore further – then, then I'm filling in some gaps using the, the 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 adventures that I'm using and and some of the things they've mentioned and and what have you and, and the world just becomes more expansive as we go. But I knew sort of the general theme ahead of time and that and and being Earth that helps as well because we can we can play very strongly off of the familiar and then give it a twist. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think you just hit something really huge. Um, it that theme of you've got. Hmm, if you start people with something that's familiar, that they feel is familiar, then they're more comfortable creating um, new, odd parts. Hmm. Whereas I think if you start people with something incredibly different and totally alien, it can be very difficult for them to feel empowered to go ahead and um, add to it.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It can't change too many of the things at once. that, That disorients people too much
0: sure yep okay human so, brains <laughs> yeah so uh i i just i think i had just one more question then uh that i think we we could discuss and that's okay so let's we, we've gone through the process we've created a world uh, it's specifically designed to suit the story we want to tell and that we think the players that we want to play a game with are going to be interested in all of that is done and, and we're ready to sit down and play our game now that we've built the world how do we like actually bring that to life? Like, There's been a lot of cases where you know, you've know you designed some piece of a world or you've come up with this great idea and then it never comes up and you never get to introduce it and you never get to talk about that background or that cool feature or whatever. How do you bring the world to life once you've created it so the players actually experience all the cool stuff that you've made?
1: Well, I <laughs> just very very boldly write an adventure <laughs> <laughs> using the elements I most... Want to start Gosh. off with? I, I just wrote an adventure called "After the Nightfall" that used these critters <laughs> called uh, Nightfall Wolves, and uh, because they're so awful and terrible, and I wanted to terrify players with them, so I, I just wrote an adventure, and uh, <laughs> that's the first uh, published adventure for. Her. So yeah. that's the way I would do it. Or yeah, so, if you're running a game, that's
2: what you would do as well.
0: Just take the things <laughs> that, that you're most interested in and put them right on Front Street. Like that's what this adventure is about.
2: Yeah. Well. It does, I mean, the thing is, I remember horror stories when, okay, when gaming first started, people would create worlds, and then they would sort of trust in the map. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Remember that? I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh my god, you turned that way. Well, gosh, I guess I don't know what's that way. Everything I prepared was east, and you went west. Dang it. Well... I'll just make something up. And meanwhile, to the east, continents la- d- wither away. You nice. know, cont- creation. And so, I mean, we don't have to play games that way anymore. So what Bruce said is, uh, what you, Bruce, what are those wolves called? The the, the night, night wolves? wolves yeah. Yep, You're going to run into the night wolves whether you go east or west.
0: <laughs> totally. Yep. yep. <laughs> yep. Uh but even I, even then, though, I mean, I've 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 run many an adventure, uh, and oftentimes adventures, published adventures or whatever, have have scads and scads of background and world building and setting and what have you that never come up at the table. Don't run
1: those adventures. I mean, yeah, don't write adventures <laughs> that have worlds, scads and scads of of background. I, <laughs> the player's experience is, is what's important. Um, yeah,
2: because that GM that, GM, that adventure is actually written to be read as literature.
0: Yeah. It was
2: somebody wanted to write literature writing literature not writing game you know sort of that's yeah so So
0: don't so don't don't create any background unless it's something that that's coming up you know
1: i'm I'm not i'm not saying don't create background i'm saying if you're running it just for your own group um so, so, I mean, we have different aims here. If you're writing a setting book, yes, write a background, right? But write it in a way that's accessible to be used in a game, right? Provide NPCs and s- sidebars, right? Provide useful things that can actually be used immediately in the game. Don't just provide history, right? If it's all history, by definition, none of it matters now, right? You can have a, <laughs> a, a few sentences of history. And but in lo- fact, what's I important mean, that, is important Bruce, what's happening now.
2: And, and I think, Bruce, this is worth mentioning right now. Um, when people want to break into gaming, uh, I mean, one of the things that happens frequently is that the first things they write are history, like just like what Bruce said. It's like rather than being how is this information relevant to player characters in a game?" they write a story about gaming, and you know it's sort of like, well,, that isn't a usable approach Now, an awful lot of that gets published because writing history. Is an easier thing to do for word count than writing information that's actually usable in the game. So an awful lot of it gets published because you need to make publish a book and sell a book. You've got uh, an audience. People will buy it. You know, to some extent. It's just that it's not that useful. As and you said it just now. It's like, oh oh my god, my players played this and they didn't interact with any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Correct. You know, and that's well, so that's partially a problem with the material, and it also shows you that's the problem with world building doing too much world building. If you do too much world building and you're really in love with what you created, your players aren't going to find it. (laughs) You know, it's like it's if you spend too much depth, if you spend if you go too deeply into what you've created, um, you might have more luck talking to specific players outside of the game about the wonderful things that are out there in the world, mm. but it can be very difficult to get into that depth during a play session.
0: Yeah, and and sometimes I've seen DMs do it, and, and I've probably been guilty of this myself uh, on occasion through through my many years of gaming uh, and they'll do it, but they'll do it by by giving you long periods of exposition or the wise old man who comes and tells you a, t- a, a tale or whatever uh, and that can get pretty old pretty quick I think most of the time, unless unless the sh- the snippet of information that they're giving is an actual snippet and it's really relevant uh, to the, the story and what the players are doing at that time Yep, yep
1: I mean, background's important. History's important, but it, it it can it can easily clog things and um, muck things over, um, bog things down. I think was the word I was trying to use.
2: Yeah, and in fact, there's a reason that Tolkien put all that stuff in the appendix. <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. All right. So, so any last thoughts uh, or bits or t- tips or tricks for for our listeners about? how to build their worlds that you would like to share from, from our experts here or do we cover it all? I got one
2: and that is just, um, realize that you can create many different worlds during your gaming career. You don't, that means you don't have to put everything into one. And if you have a really wonderful, crazy idea that you've always wanted to try, don't, don't hold yourself back mm-hmm. you're you know if it doesn't work out you can do another one <laughs> later
0: so yeah yeah you, you will build many worlds in your in your gaming lifetime i imagine yeah i was i was mine
1: goes kind of along with that in the sense like just just sit down and do something right you know you don't have to even finish it just uh if you're interested in world building at all you know write write a few ideas down in a notebook and they don't even have to be related. Just, just start, and then you're. You also
2: over. don't have to admit it's not finished when the players start interacting with it. <laughs> yeah. oh, totally. Yeah. If they won't know. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Well, we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. I want to thank you guys. Rob Hainso, where can people find out more about you, or where can people find you on the Internet?
2: Um, my handle on Twitter is at Rob Hainso, and I'm robhainso.blogspot.com.
0: And Hainso is H-E-I-N-S-O-O. And you say it right. Oh, well, I may have watched a YouTube video or two when you were being <laughs> interviewed ahead of time, just to be sure. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Uh, and anything else that you wanted to uh, promote while you're here, let people know about to go check out?
2: Uh, you know, soon... Sometime next year, Thirteenth Age of Glorantha will come out, and that is the Labor of Love project that Jonathan Tweet and I have finished, and it's now in uh, in the art process. And that's uh, playing using the Thirteenth Age system in a half-designed version of Greg Stafford's Glorantha. So, a, a lot of a lot of fun to do.
0: Fantastic. And Bruce Cordell, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? And and what do you have coming out that people need to know about?
1: well let's see uh we've already talked about the biggies i guess but they can find me online just at bruce cordell on twitter just bruce cordell or brucecordell.com for my blog i'm also on facebook i'm also on g plus for that matter so that's <laughs> where people can interact with they'd like um you know i um if people are interested in gods of the fall that it came out pretty recently mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome yeah i looked um, at it at gen con it looked super cool cool and the art the art was also just simply stunning they really pulled it together um but i have that novel that i actually left wizards to write is finally coming out angry robot is the publisher and angry that'll robot. be coming yes awesome. that'll be coming out early next year so just a few months from now that's
2: awesome very and good is it called is it called the strange
1: uh, it's actually co- <laughs> it's actually called Myth of the Maker.
0: That, good oh, yeah. good, okay. good catch, Rob. Yes. yes like, the title. Okay. Yes, the title. Myth That's how the maker. So Myth I've of the Maker. Robot. And is it in Myth? the setting of the Strange?
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it yeah, it totally is in the setting of the Strange. Yeah. Cool.
0: So maybe if somebody hasn't picked up the Strange yet but they're interested, they can go read a novel about it and see if, see how the world works. Totally. Yep. Cool. I also want to thank our sponsor, Open Gaming Store, and all of our listeners for supporting the show by shopping on our affiliate links over at Amazon or the DMs Guild, or for being a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash Show. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email show at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that is episode two hundred and seventy-two where we started with nothing and created a living, breathing <laughs> setting as we discuss world building in this episode of
2: Gato Gateau Gateau Gateau
0: Gateau and Gateau
2: I